0: All right, I got a message for you today, and I like to start off as I do with a story. So there's a story of this Sunday school teacher, right? The Sunday school teacher, she asked her students, she said, hey, if I went to church every single week and I prayed and I read my Bible every day and I served at the church, would I go to heaven? And the whole class at once said no. And she said, okay, well, what if I gave away all my money? I sold my house, I sold my car, and I gave everything that I owned to the poor. Would I then go to heaven? The whole class said no. And so she said finally, well, what if I did my best to try to obey the Ten Commandments? I worship and I praise God all day, every day. Then would I go to heaven? And again, the whole class said no. So she thought to herself, well, this is good. I've done a good job giving the gospel to my class. And then she asked the class, well, then tell me, how do I get to heaven? And then a, quick, a quick-witted five-year-old stood up and said, you have to die first. <laughs> Which is true, unfortunately. And I usually like to cite some type of statistic when uh, that likes to back up my message, whatever it is. So I found this statistic and according to the World Health Organization in a study done in 2019, they found that sometime in your life, hundred percent of people will die. All right. I don't mean to totally make light of it. It's it's a hard subject to talk about heaven and hell, which is what we're going to talk about today. And I know some people are going through some hard times. Uh, We actually had to lay to rest just yesterday, a brother of the house, 36 year old young man. And that's hard to do. I've, I've done about 20, 25 funerals over my tenure here at Waters Church, and it's never easy. Uh, The good news about that funeral yesterday is he is a believer, and I know where he is, and his family knows where he is, so that's what we're talking about today. The message today is, am I going to heaven? Because if heaven or hell are real, which I believe they are, then it's really important that we know where we're going. Um, I believe that God's Word tells us that many more people are going to go to hell than to heaven. The fact that there's a highway to hell and a stairway to heaven should tell us about the traffic to both of those places. All right, that's it for jokes, I swear. But Jesus says in his words, enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and easy that leads to destruction, and those who enter it are many. For the gate is narrow and the way is hard for those that lead to life, and those that find it are few. Today I want to find out who those few are and hopefully by the glory of God add to that number. Okay, so I do have some real stats for you. Uh, We know that the gate is wide that leads to destruction because there's only one way, through the narrow gate, which is Jesus Christ. And Christianity today is still considered the largest religion in the world. Not the fastest growing, unfortunately, that goes to Islam, but it's still considered the largest. 31.11% of people around the world claim to be Christian. This is 2.3 billion out of the almost 8 billion people around the world, which is great. In America, 64% of people claim to be Christian, which sounds like a big number. But 50 years ago, 90% of people in America claimed to be Christian. It's amazing how the world changes. Now, the startling news is, and the troubling thought for us, is not all people that claim to be Christian are, in fact, Christian. There are many offsets of true Christianity, right? And we have to know what the real truth is of Jesus in the Bible. I'd like to go over just a couple for you, not to disparage anyone that grew up in any of these offsuit, offsets of Christianity, but I think it's really important to know the difference about Jesus in the Bible and Jesus that is taught from a different warped reality. Uh, Mormons believe that Jesus Christ was the firstborn spirit child of the heavenly father and a heavenly mother. It says that he progressed to deity in the spirit world and he later was conceived in physical form. This is not the Jesus of the Bible. Jehovah's Witnesses believe that Jesus was created by Jehovah as the Archangel Michael. This is not the Jesus of the Bible. Seventh-day Advocates also believe that Jesus was first the angel, Michael. That's not the Jesus of the Bible. And there's a growing movement today in Christianity called Torah Observed. And Torah Observed Christians believe that you should and have to follow the rules of the Old Testament. The problem with this is it diminishes what Jesus accomplished on the cross, that we're saved by faith and not by our works. And this is not the Jesus of the Bible. So we have to know who Jesus is. I wasn't going to say this, but quick little story because it happened to me yesterday. I was at the dog park. I have a six-month-year-old little boy, and I take him to the park every single day to play with other little dogs, and um, we were there. I was talking to this guy that I've built a relationship with, and he had recently lost his son who was only in his 20s, and he knew I was a pastor. He knew I went to church, but I hadn't yet invited him to church. I was trying to build up that relationship. But yesterday I said, you know what, I'm preaching tomorrow. You live in Woonsocket, you can come see me live in North Attleboro, or go you know, check out our Winsocket location. I hope he's here right now or watching online. I don't know, he seemed receptive. But right then when I was talking to him, I saw a car pull up at the dog park. Two young blonde men stepped out of the car. Black pants, white shirt, black tie, name tag. I knew immediately who they were and my spirit was filled. I'm like, how dare you? How dare you enter? And I said to myself, what the heck? And then a the lady behind me said, Oh oh no, what the heck? And I said, don't worry, I got this. I'm ready, I'm preaching on this tomorrow. I'm ready to debate, I'm ready to go to war. They come right out, they open the gate without a dog, they enter the dog park, how dare you? And I walk right up to the first guy, and I say, hey, how you doing? Can I help you? And he goes, praise be to God. I said, praise be to God. He's like, could I invite you to church tomorrow? I go, actually, I'm a pastor, and I go to a Christian, Bible-believing, Jesus-loving church. And I'm waiting, I'm, I'm needling him. And he goes, oh, that's great, what church? I go, Waters Church. He goes, I've heard about them, they do good work. I said, yes, they do. <laughs> and then he walked past me, and then the other guy that got past me started to address the other 10, 15 people there. And he goes, well, would anybody else here like to go to church? I go, actually, I said I'm a pastor at a church, and I already invited all of them to my church. So we're all set here. And then he said, well, I guess you beat me to it. I said, no, God did. And Jesus warns us of this. He warns us of false preachers, right? In Matthew 7, he says, Beware of false prophets who come in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will recognize them by their fruits. Look, if heaven or hell are real and this book is true, which I believe they are and it is, then it is so important that we know who the real Jesus is. C.S. Lewis, he told a story uh, about a wise barnacle. What's a barnacle, you ask? Well, a barnacle is a crustacean that lives at the bottom of the sea. It's attached to a rock, lives in a shell. Well, as the story goes, the barnacle was sitting at the bottom of the sea and he was speculating on the nature of man. He looked up and he saw a man and he said, man has no shell. Man is not surrounded by water and man is not attached to any rock. So this wise barnacle called all his little barnacle disciples around him and started to expound on his thoughts on the nature of man. He said, look, man has no shell. He must be a formless, shapeless blob. He said, man is not attached to any rock, so he must be homeless and wander all around. And man does not have any water to float food to him, so therefore, man must not eat. And then he told all his little disciples, all the little barnacle boys and girls, you know, that they must be more important than man because they were more active than man. The point of the story is we can't look at God through our perception of God. We can't put God in a box of how we feel. We have to know the true God of the Bible. We can't look through God through our own interpretations. There's only one God and his character is all throughout this book. If we follow false teachings or don't have a true understanding of who the true Jesus is, then then we are at risk of going to hell and not heaven. It's important to know who he is. And Jesus spoke on hell more than he ever did on heaven. In fact, 13% of Jesus' sayings were on hell or eternal judgment. But here's the good news. Well, I'll get to that in a second. I want to go over the greatest speech that was ever given. The greatest sermon that was ever given was Jesus on the Sermon on the Mount. It takes up two whole chapters in the book of Matthew. He starts by flipping everything upside down and saying that those that are blessed are the poor, the meek, the humble, and the mournful. This went against everything that the Jewish leaders taught of that day. Then Jesus warns us about keeping our faith. He talks about fulfillment of the law. He speaks about everyday issues like anger and lust. He answers questions on divorce and taking oaths. Jesus tells us not to retaliate, but to love our enemy. He speaks on charity for the poor and for the widows. He teaches on how to pray properly and how to fast correctly. He teaches on money, anxiety, and about judging other people. And he tells us what to ask for and gives us the golden rule to treat others how we too want to be treated we learn about false prophets and then we come to what many consider the scariest passage in the bible would you turn to matthew 7 21 to 23 with me and stand we're going to read the word of god jesus says not everyone who says to me Lord, Lord will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my father who is in heaven on that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesize in your name and cast out demons in your name and do mighty works in your name? And then will I declare to them, I never knew you depart from me, you workers of lawlessness, lawlessness. Let's pray. Father God. I thank you for the people that are here watching online or watching at any of our locations. I pray that you open up our ears, our minds, and our hearts to receive your word here today. I pray that you help me get out of the way, that you add to my mind, my mouth, whatever you want me to say, and you take out anything you don't want me to say. But I pray above all that we see and experience Jesus in his mighty name we pray. And everyone said? Please have a seat. So here's the thing, why this is considered one of the scariest passages in the Bible. Jesus is not talking to Buddhists. He's not talking to Muslims. He's not talking to atheists. He's not talking to New Ages. He's talking to people that profess to know Christ. That's a scary thing. And you might wonder, well, how? How could they cast out demons and perform miracles in the name of Christ if they don't know Christ? Well, there's examples of that in the Bible. Saul, the king that walked away from God, was used by God to prophesize. There are many pagans that were used by God to prophesize. God even used a donkey to perform miracles. But how about something a little closer to home? Matthew 10 says, Jesus sent out the 12 apostles with these instructions. Go and announce to them that the kingdom of heaven is near. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cure those with leprosy and cast out demons. Who were the 12? All 12 disciples, including Judas. Judas could cast out demons. Judas could heal the sick. Judas that stole money from the ministry. Judas that would betray Jesus unto death. How is that even possible? Well, I think the better question is by whose power were they healed, right? Did Judas lose his salvation? Did he never believe in Christ? Or did it not matter who had the power to heal or the one who gave them the power? You see, those people that come to Jesus in the last day and say that they cast out demons, that they prophesize, that they perform mighty works, they're going about it all wrong. They're coming to God and saying, look what we did. What they should have said is, Lord, by your Holy Spirit and by your power. Did we not perform mighty works for your kingdom and to further your kingdom? But no, they were pointing out to God what they did and saying by our good works, we deserve to be in heaven. This is what so many branches of Christianity do today, relying on their works and not the work of God. It doesn't matter what we do, it matters what he has already done. John 11 says, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall not die. It is the work of Christ unto salvation, not our work as man. All right, so I'm finally going to get to the notes now. If you'd pull out your notes. And please take notes, because i got a couple things I'd really like you to pull from this. And I'm going to give you one heads up. All the notes are on the front page leave the uh, back page blank for now just don't touch it you'll know why in a few minutes all right so i want to go over the two things because i believe there are two qualifiers in this text in our main text for going to heaven because that's what i want you guys to know today are you going to heaven two qualifiers jesus gives us what is the will of the father and who is known by jesus Right, He says, do the will of the Father and get away from me, I never knew, from, knew you. So what is the will of the Father? I believe it happens in three stages. So write this down. Stage one, the will of the Father is to believe in Jesus as the Christ. It's to believe in Jesus as the Christ. I see some of you taking notes. I'm only disappointed with a couple of you. <laughs> if you don't have paper notes, you can go to waterschurch.guide and fill the blanks in there watching online. All right, so the will of God is to believe in Jesus as a Christ. This is where it starts. This is where faith begins, right? We start by believing in the true Jesus of the Bible, not a Jesus that we're necessarily comfortable with. It says in John 6, 28, Then they said to him, What What? what must we do to be doing the works of God? Jesus answered them, This is the work of God, that you believe in him who he sent, that you believe in Jesus as the Christ. The work of God that we're supposed to accomplish is believing in Jesus. Number two, what is the will of the God? What is the will of God? I had too much coffee today, sorry. The will of God is to grow in Christ. First, you come to know and believe in Christ, but it doesn't stop there, right? We don't instantly go to heaven right there and then. No, we have work to do, and part of our work is to grow in Christ. Second Peter says in 5-7, and this is the outline of how you grow in Christ. You want to know how to grow in Christ? Read this scripture every day and see where you land in it. Make every effort to sublent your faith in virtue and virtue with knowledge and knowledge with self-control and self-control with steadfastness and steadfastness with godliness and godliness with brotherly affection and brotherly affection with love. This is the roadmap of how we grow in Christ, the ultimate goal, having that true brotherly affection for our fellow believers. Jesus said, you'll know them by your love for one another and our love for God. And second Peter says, but grow in grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To him be the glory, both now and on the day of eternity. Amen. I'm not just talking about coming to church, not just talking about serving and doing good deeds, but growing in him. I wonder how many people hearing this, watching online, watching it on YouTube, or here in this building will say, Lord, Lord, did we not attend Water's Church every single weekend? Did I not serve in the cafe every single weekend? Look, those are good things, but that doesn't get you to heaven. Getting you into heaven is believing in Christ, growing in Christ. And then part three, stage three, that you become Christ-like. First you believe, then you grow, then you become Christ-like. This is the ultimate goal. This should be an ongoing goal. This should be our life goal. Romans 8, 29 says, for those whom he foreknew, he predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. Conformed means to be like, to be conformed, to be like Jesus. That is our goal. That is what God wants to do with you. But we don't have to do it alone. That's a good thing. The Holy Spirit is here to help us. Philippians 1, 6 says, and I'm sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion on the day of Jesus Christ. So God's going to work with you and partner with you to be more and more like his son, Jesus. No matter what stage you're at, there's a next stage to grow to be more like Jesus. But what is Jesus like? Look, the Holy Spirit's going to help us, but we can't do it if we don't know what Jesus is like. Well, I've got seven attributes for you of the character of Jesus, and you can put those up. Again, I didn't put these in your notes. You can write them down, but if you write them down, keep it on the front page, please. So the first one's wisdom. Jesus was filled with wisdom. You want to be filled with wisdom? Read Proverbs. God's wisdom is in his book for you. Read Proverbs every day. You'll be more and more like Christ as you fill yourself with God's wisdom. Jesus, was all filled with our knowledge knowledge of the father knowledge of the human heart knowledge of sin we too need to be filled with the knowledge of god you want to be filled with the knowledge of god read this book i'm gonna hammer this home read this book number three patience Ooh, this one's hard for a lot of us having patience with people well god has patience with you jesus had patience with you jesus has patience with me when i fall when i sin he stands there waits and helps me back up he had patience for me for 30 something years before i came to know him as lord and savior he has patience with you and he loved you before you were even saved charity jesus was filled with charity he healed the poor he blessed the widows the mournful he had charity for the human the human condition the human heart And one thing I do love about this church is the charity that we show and have for other people. Today we're going to the Providence Rescue Mission where a small group's going to go preach the Word of God, and they're going to minister to and feed the homeless and the poor in Cranston, Rhode Island. We want to see more and more of that here at Waters Church, not just going to that mission, but helping the people in, in the community, all right? Number five is humility. Jesus, God in the flesh, humbled himself to come down to be a servant to all. Not to be served, he says, but to be a servant to all. Right? We need to count others more important than ourselves. This is why we serve at the church or in our communities, because we count others more important than ourselves, and we get that from the character of Jesus. Number six is obedience. Jesus was obedient, obedient to the point of death. He listened to the Father. Look, Jesus could have called down angels to come and attack all of His en- enemies, and they would have had no chance. But Jesus wanted to fulfill for you and me the curse of sin, and in order to do that, He was obedient to God on the cross for us. And number seven, finally, the most important, the culmination of all these attributes is love. Jesus loves, He loves humans. He doesn't love sin, but he loves the sinner. And he found you and he found me or he will find you when you're still stuck in your sins he doesn't ask you to change before he loves you he just loves you and we need to love other people as well all right uh chris you can come out with my beverage box i've got a quick illustration i want to go over using my two favorite beverages i didn't rehearse this so i don't know how it's gonna go we'll see can you all see this Actually, Chris, do me a favor, come back out. I want you more screen time. Could you move it right over here for me just so more people can see it? My bad, I told them to put it there. Thank you so much. Chris Lane, everybody. All right, so I've got two of my favorite beverages, breakfast beverages right here. One is gonna represent a false Christianity, a false believer, and the other is going to represent true Christianity and a true believer. So let's see how this goes. I don't know. Maybe you'll hate it. But coffee. Everyone loves coffee. Everyone loves coffee. This guy's man over here. All right. <laughs> it's not scripture. It's just coffee. Calm down. Mm. Oh, that's good. A little cold, but it's good. See, the thing about coffee is you can have it your way. No, this isn't a Burger King commercial. You can have it any way you want. It can be hot, it can be cold, it can be be bitter, it can be black, it can be sweet. You can have mocha in it, you can have chocolate, you can have vanilla, right? You can have coffee any way you wanna have it. It's your coffee. The problem is, what makes coffee coffee? Because you might get a mocha frappuccino and I might get a cappuccino, but they look totally different. So who can tell what coffee really is? Your coffee is not necessarily my coffee. So that in my illustration is a false believer. My other breakfast beverage is really my favorite. I love orange juice. Orange juice is such a good thing, or should I call it OJ, Only Jesus? OJ is sweet, it is fresh, I find it refreshing, it's delicious, and the thing about orange juice is, it's simply orange juice, as it says. You take an orange, you squeeze it, you drink the juice. It is what it says it is. Ooh, it's good. Here's what too many people do these days. They take something in the world, and they take a little bit of Jesus, all right? I still want to sleep around and go out and party every weekend, but I'm going to go to church on Sunday. I'm going to join a small group, but I also like to slander and gossip. I'm going to serve on the weekend, but I'm still going to get drunk every night. What's that look like? That look good? Don't drink it. This is what Jesus would call lukewarm. What does Jesus do with something that's lukewarm? (laughs) All right, Chris, you can come and get these beverages. That's all I have to do with that. Thank you very much. That was gross. Thank you. So I had this guy in my office a couple months ago And he came in to me and he told me, you know, I feel so blessed to have a beautiful Christian wife. And I said, you are blessed. So am I. Thank you very much. And he said he's really gotten a lot closer with them in the few years that they've been married. The problem was he didn't feel close to God since he's been married. He said he felt more and more close to his wife, but less and less close to God. I said, well, why do you think you feel close to God? He said, I don't know. I said, do you spend time with her? He said, yes. I said, do you talk with her? He said, yes. I said, do you listen to her? He said, yes. I said, what about God? He said, what do you mean? I said, do you spend time with him? Well, less and less than I used to. Do you talk to him? Well, you mean? Pray? I I mean, I I do, but not as often as I used to. Do you listen to him? Well, not really. I haven't been reading my Bible and obeying as much as as I used to. You want to feel close to God? Start doing those things that you do to feel close to anybody in any relationship. Spend time with him, talk with him, read about him, learn about him. Look, relationship with your spouse or your friends is wonderful, but your relationship with God should be the most important relationship in your life. So I got four quick points for you. So we know the will of God is to believe unto Jesus. How do we we get known? How are we sure that we're known by Jesus because Jesus says get away from me I never knew you so that means I want to know that Jesus knows me so how can we do that point number one learn about him and know him Look, at the start of any relationship, you ask questions. You grow with them. You learn about them. If you want them to care enough about you, to find out about you, learn about them. And we should do that with God. Learn about God from his word. His character is all throughout this book. God's given us scriptures to reveal his nature. If we read Jonah, we see God's universal love for mankind, his desire to bring mankind into a relationship with himself. In the book of Genesis, we read about God's creation and his judgment. In Hosea, he tells us about God's overwhelming compassion and love for mankind. In Amos, we read about God's righteousness. In Micah, we read about God's justice. In Isaiah, we read about his holiness and redemptive love. And in the book of John, we learn that God so loved the world that he sent his only begotten son to die for us to save us from the curse of sin. As you go through the scriptures, God reveals to us who he really is. John 7, 3 says, and this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom he sent. God wants to know you. The word know here in Greek is the same word that Jesus used, get away from me, I never knew you. It's a Greek verb that means an intimate acquaintance much like in a relationship or in marriage. Jesus wants to have an intimate acquaintance with you. This is why it's so important. This is, not, this is not a religion. This is a relationship. And this is what we mean when we say it's a relationship. You don't come to church and do your sacraments and get saved. God wants to know you, okay? And in order to know him, you have to, in order for him to know you, you have to know him, point one. Point two, How you're known by Jesus? Well, you spend time with him and you listen to him. Just like any relationship. You spend time with somebody, you get to know him. How do I spend time with God? You get in his word. How do I get to know him? How do I listen to him? You pray, you get quiet. You wait for God to speak for you. And you don't have to do it at a certain time. You don't just pray when you come to church. You can pray in your car, you can pray at home, you can pray on the toilet. I don't care, but pray, talk to God. Don't do it on the toilet. James 4 says, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Draw near to God and he'll draw near to you. If you want to get to know someone, you need to spend time with them. I've had friends over the years and we spent so much time together, we realize how much we like about each other. The same movies, the same TV shows, the same clothes, you start to dress alike. Spend time with God, ask him questions and learn about him and watch your relationship grow. Point three, how we're known by Jesus, love him and appreciate his love. Love him, love's an act, desire his love, appreciate his love, fall in love with him, show him that you love him and appreciate him. Look, you've heard of love languages, right? Everybody's got a different love languages, acts of service, um, words of affirmation, all those things. Well, God's got love languages too. And we should know these so we can do them. God's love languages are acts of service, praise, giving, charity, spending quality time with him. This is what God desires to have a relationship with us. That coffee, orange juice is coming back up. (laughs) Finally, point four, how we're known by Jesus. Act like him and less like yourself. Act like him and less like yourself. Look, this happens with our, our friends and our spouses. The more time we spend with them, the more you start to act like them. Uh, I got a couple of uh, pictures up. Actually, put these pictures up. Have you ever seen that couple that's been married so long, like 30 or 40 years, that they start to look alike? <laughs> Actually, there are studies that show that the more time you spend with someone, the more you will look like them. This couple right down here looks like a brother and sister, but they're not, they've been married for 30 years. These two couples, they've been married for 50 years. You can see it on the smiles. Now, here's the thing. This is for better or for worse. If you're a happy couple, and you're laughing and smiling a lot, you're gonna get those same type of um, uh, laugh lines, right? You're gonna get those same looks. But if you're a miserable couple, a grumpy couple, you're gonna get frown lines. You're gonna start to look miserable together. So it's up to you. You can grow together in a good way or grow together in a bad way. And the funny thing is, I've only been married three years, and we just uh, adopted a six-month-old uh, a few months ago, and we're all starting to look alike right now as well. Check this out. See the handsome one in the middle? That's Bodhi. I think I'm starting to look a lot more like him with the, with the white on the, okay, that's it. Take that down. That's just a joke. But couples spend so much time together that you pick up on each other's mannerisms. You have inside jokes, you start to finish each other's sentences. Think about what your relationship with God would look like if you spent more time with Him. You're gonna start to look like Him and act like Him. I, ne- I never liked country music, never liked it at all. Grew up actually hating it, never got it. Thought it was all about a truck and a dead dog and- just didn't do it for me. I grew up with 90s R&B. That was my music. That's what I liked, you know? Okay, okay. But God gave me a wife that constantly plays country music. <laughs> Doing dishes, cooking out in the garden. That's all I hear. Actually, last year she dragged me to a country, uh, country music festival, and it was fun and fine. But now I actually find myself alone in the car putting on country music. I, I don't know why, but I do. And I even caught my wife a couple times playing 90s R&B. So, my point is, the more you spend time with someone, the more you appreciate them, and they become a part of you. So we need to do this that much more with God. Galatians 4:9 says, "But now that you've come to know God, or rather to be known by God, how can you turn back again to the weak and worthless elementary principles of this world?" God wants you to know him, and he wants to know you. It's why he came in the form of Jesus. One last C.S. Lewis story. Yes, I've been reading a lot of C.S. Lewis, but he tells a story about a father and son walking down a dirt path, and they come across an anthill, and the anthill had been recently crushed. And the little boy looked up at his father and he said, you know, wouldn't it be great, Dad, if we could go down there, tell those ants that we love them and we wanted to help them with their sick and help them with their wounded? And the father knelt down to his son and said, well, son, the only way we could do that is was we'd have to become an ant. And if we became an ant, we could go down there and tell them we loved them and help them with their sick and their wounded. And by the way we acted, they would know our character. This is what God had to do so that we could be known by him and know him. He had to come down in the form of Jesus Christ so that we could accept his love and he could die for us. Look, heaven and hell are real. And we all have a choice to choose heaven over hell. Problem is, we're all separated from God because of sin. You've sinned and I've sinned. And the whole thing is, it's not done by comparison. It's done individually. So you can't say, well, Chris has lied a lot more than me, so therefore I deserve heaven and not hell. No, God's gonna look at your sin. If you sin one time, just once, you're separated from God for all eternity. So I want you to do one more thing. Go through this with me. It's at the bottom of your notes. I wrote out a modern day 10 commandments. And I want you to be honest with yourself here because this is what we're talking about. I've got a little checklist. And you can do this mentally if you want, but I'd like you to go along with me as I explain this. And I'm going to do it with you. And I just want you to check off if you've done any of these sins. So go ahead and put this up. Have you ever lied? I have. Check. Have you ever stolen? I have. Five years old, stole a candy bar. Check. Have you ever cursed God, taken his name in vain? In anger? I have. Check. Have you ever hated someone? God says if you even hate someone in your heart, you've committed murder. I have. Check. Have you ever experienced lust? Oh, you all better put a check on that one. (laughs) Check. Have you ever disobeyed your parents? Check. Have you ever practiced another religion? Maybe you haven't, but I have. Check. Hey, have you ever skipped church for, says a few weekends, even one week, because it says to honor the Sabbath. I've skipped church and I work here. Check. (laughs) Have you ever trusted in another power than yourself, even yourself, Another, another power but God? Check. And have you ever wanted something that a friend have? Bible says, do not covet. Check. Again, how's your checklist look? Because this is what God sees. He sees your sins that you've committed. And this is what keeps you from heaven. And no one, no one can save themselves. I want you to do one more thing before you guys get up. One more exercise. Take that piece of paper that you just did the check marks. I want to hold it up in front of you in your face. Everybody just hold that up that did it. Then I'll know who's going to heaven. Okay, good. These are your sins before God. Now turn that page over. What do you see? A blank sheet. Nothing. When you come to Christ, when you're known by Christ, this is what God sees. Your sins have been washed away. He sees them no more. You are clothed in the righteousness of Jesus Christ. This is why we need Jesus.